Hey, 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 it's Pastor Mike. If you love what we do at Time of Grace, speaking biblical truth into everyday issues, then you are going to love the podcast, The Non-Microwave Truth, by my friend and brother in Jesus, C.L. Whiteside. C.L. is a high school educator and a coach who isn't afraid to take on tough topics, but always through the lens of God's Word. Just search for The Non-Microwave Truth wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Everybody loves a good origin story, like how did Batman get his wings or how did Spider-Man get his webs? And it's no different when we talk to each other. Like imagine you and I are having a conversation and I say, hey, where were you born? Where did you grow up? And tell me all about your experiences and your hopes for the future. And so you share all those things with me and then let's say that I flip the script and I say, you know what? I don't think you were born there. It just doesn't make sense to me. No, I, I think you were born over here. Or I tell you, yeah, your accent, it, it doesn't seem like you're from that area. No, no, you, you grew up in this area. And then your experiences, I look you up and down and I say, somebody with your build, no way <laughs> you would have done that. And then as we talk about your future, I say, no, I, th- I think this is how it's going to go. Now that sounds completely ridiculous. And it's, quite frankly, it's, it's offensive and stupid. Like, nobody has the right to change your reality. Your reality is your reality. But how often do you and I do that with God? Like, when we think about God, we, we come up with these fanciful ideas of, of where we think he may have come from. Maybe we read something or hear something about what he did in the past. We go, ah, I don't like that. I'm going to change that, manipulate that. Uh, we hear about his, his discipline and his justice, and we say, you know, I don't like that about God. So I'm, I'm going to say that God's 100% love, 0% just. And then we think about what he's going to do in the future, what it's clearly written that he, he says he's going to do, and we say, nah, nah, that's, that's not going to happen. That's crazy. You and I do not have the right to change God's story. We don't have the right to manipulate his essence and his being, and, and, and we don't have the right to tell him who he is and what he's going to do or, or change what he's already done. Just like you are you, and I am me, God is God. And so how do we find out, how do we understand truly who he is? Well, his story is written down in the Bible. Now the Bible, the word the Bible is from the Greek Biblia, which translated is the book. And there are a lot of books written about God, but there's only one, the book, and it, that is authored by God himself that tells us where he came from, what he's done in the past, what he's going to do in the future. And in the book, the Bible, God reveals that he is the three-in-one God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Our early church fathers came up with these terms, the Trinity or the triune God. And, and none of those words are found in the Bible, but they, they do explain his essence to us. If you've ever ridden a tricycle, you know that it has three wheels. If you've ridden a unicycle or have seen someone ride one, you know that it has one wheel. So three in one, triune. Does that fit in our brains? No. <laughs> Can we compute that? Can we understand that? Absolutely not. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. And we're not meant to necessarily understand it. We're meant to believe it because that's what God says. That's who he is. And in the Christian church, we spend a lot of time talking about God the Father. And rightly so, because in Jesus' very famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer, he says, this is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. Uh, in the Christian church, we talk a lot about God the Son, Jesus. 
when he rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. And, and one of them who wasn't there originally, Thomas, was doubting. But after he saw Jesus and touched him, he declared, my Lord, am I God? We talk a lot about Jesus. And then there is God, the Holy Spirit. And you would think that he would get 33.3% of our attention because he's a third of the Trinity. But unfortunately, in our church circles, he tends to get about 0.3%. And, and because of that, you and I are missing out on a huge part of who our God is and, and huge blessings that he wants to pour out into our lives. And so the, the goal of this series is to help you and I get to know the forgotten God better, to, to bring him out into the forefront and understand what is his working in our lives. And Jesus tells us one of the primary jobs of the Holy Spirit what that is in the book of John chapter 15. So Jesus was about to leave this earth. He was with his 12 disciples. Uh, they, they were sad, overwhelmed by the fact that he was going to leave them, that he was going to ascend into heaven, but he, he wanted to comfort them by reminding them that he was going to send them the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. And this is what he said in John chapter 15, beginning with verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So one of the names that Jesus gives the Holy Spirit is the advocate, and that's a courtroom term. Uh, sometimes we translate it as lawyer. Now I know lawyers can get a bad rap, but ultimately their job is to help their client, to advocate for them, to stand up for them, to to fight for their best interests. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing for us, for you and me constantly to God the Father. And then it says that the Holy Spirit is going to testify about Jesus. In the Trinity, you have this beautiful relationship. There is no infighting. They're not vying for, for attention. They, they are bringing attention to each other. And that's the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to help you and me know God the Son, Jesus. And how does he do that? Through the written word, through the Bible, through the book. And in the book, we find this amazing story, this true story, this history of how God the Son Jesus came into our earth and he humbled himself and he lived under God's law, but he lived under it perfectly. And you and I don't do that. We sin all the time, but Jesus never did. And, and the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die because of what we've done. And yet Jesus, perfect, sinless Jesus died in your place and mine. He paid for our sins. And then the book tells us that he rose from the dead, victoriously promising that anyone who believes in him as their savior also will rise from the dead. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's testifying about this truth about Jesus to bring people like us to him. And then it also says that Jesus promised that the same Holy Spirit would empower his disciples to go out and testify starting in Jerusalem to the ends of the world about this amazing truth about our savior, God's son. And that's the Holy Spirit is still doing today. He's using the word, he's using that history to convict and convert people like you and me. And then once we're convicted and converted, then he empowers us by his word to go out and convict and convert other people so that they can know the truth that God is love. See, without the Holy Spirit working in our lives, there's no way that you and I would know Jesus. That's his primary work, to testify about God the Son. So let's pray to God the Holy Spirit right now and thank him, thank him for doing that in our lives. We pray. 
God, Almighty Holy Spirit, uh, thank you for bringing us to this amazing knowledge that Jesus is our Savior because we could not save ourselves. We've tried so hard and yet it is absolutely impossible. But by your working, you've humbled us and helped us to believe this amazing truth. Thank you for continuing to work in our lives and help us to share this message. Help us to testify to others about Jesus, our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The one true God reveals himself as the three-in-one God. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't understand that. I can't wrap my mind around it. Uh, over the years, I've just come to believe it through faith, accepting that that's who he is. Uh, it's, it's beyond my understanding, and that's okay. That's a good thing, uh, because who wants a God who can fit in a tiny little box that you can dissect and say, oh, this is who he is exactly. No, our God is so big and so strong that that's who he is. And so our big God, specifically God the Son, came down to this earth, and he lived 33 years. He ministered for three of those years, and towards the end of his ministry, he came to his disciples and said, I must go. And on the night that he was betrayed, that he was handed over to the authorities who were eventually going to kill him, he told them that I must go, and that's a good thing because then I can send you the Holy Spirit, the, the advocate, your guide, your counselor, who, who's going to lead you into further truths, remind you of everything I've taught you, and, and give you further insight. And ultimately, you will be my witnesses starting in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of of the earth. Now, when Jesus shared that with them, they didn't quite understand what he was saying, but they said, okay, we'll, we'll do what you tell us to do. So Jesus ascends into heaven. He's, he's gone from this earth, and they're waiting in Jerusalem now, the disciples are. <clears throat> and as they're waiting, it, the, the day of Pentecost comes. This is the harvest celebration for the Jewish people. It's 50 days after the Passover, and they're together, and all of a sudden there's this great wind, or it sounds like a wind, and these tongues of fire appear above them, and they began to speak in different languages, languages they had never spoken before, and they were speaking them fluently. So they go out onto the streets, and they start to preach the good news of Jesus Christ in these different languages. And people knew that these guys were from Galilee. They should not have been speaking these languages, and they were surprised and in awe. Some people were, were questioning. They wondered, are these guys drunk? And that's when the Apostle Peter stands up and he says, no, 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 no. Uh, these guys are not drunk. It's nine in the morning. They are full of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what the prophet Joel prophesied would happen. Now, the prophet Joel was an Old Testament prophet. He lived about 800 years prior to this event. And the Jewish people would have known his writings. He, he wrote a, a small book, just three chapters long, but it would have been read in the synagogues and in the temple courts uh, for centuries. So at this moment, Peter quotes from Joel in Acts chapter two, he says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord." And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
There's a lot going on in this. And it seems like the way that Joel is writing is this is one event, when in actuality, it's multiple events. When, when we read Old Testament prophecies, we have to understand it's kind of like a mountain range. Now, imagine you're driving up to the mountains, and in a mountain range, there's multiple mountains. But when you see them from a distance, they look like they're next to each other. But as you get closer, all of a sudden, you start to see that distinction. And here's one. It's, it's, it's closer, and this one's further away. Well, you, you wouldn't have seen that until you gotten closer. Well, up to this point, the Lord Jesus has not come back yet, so that, that has not been fulfilled. But there are the signs that we are witnessing right now. He talks about the, the sun being darkened and the moon turning to blood. We've heard of blood moons before. Well, ultimately, what, what he's referencing here are the, the celestial changes, um, things like uh, eclipses and, and, and things like that, that we're seeing these signs pointing ahead to Jesus coming. But the sign that was specifically being fulfilled on the day of Pentecost is found for us in verses 17 and 18. I'll read those again. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. The reason that the apostles were preaching in these different languages was not because they were filled up on the spirits of alcohol and liquor, but because they were filled by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This here proved why it was beneficial for Jesus to leave his disciples and send God the Holy Spirit. Now, what did he empower them to do? He empowered them to preach, to prophesy. Now, when we hear the word prophesy, normally we think of someone foretelling the future, which in some cases that's, the, that's what it is. But really, when you read it in the Bible, the word prophesy means to declare a message from God. To prophesy is to declare a message from God. That could be a message that pertains to the past, the present, or the future. And this is the message that Peter and the other apostles were declaring that day. Uh, it says this in verse 22. Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on this is a bold message. And what you have to understand is that Peter and the other guys were not very bold <laughs> up until this point. Uh, they had literally hid behind locked doors because they were afraid that that crowd was going to do to them what they had done to Jesus. So they weren't out there preaching that morning because they all of a sudden willed themselves to, to be bold and brave. No, this was an act of the Holy Spirit working in and through them to, to point out what these people had witnessed that this crowd had seen the miracles of Jesus. They had heard about how he healed people and raised them back to life. And yet with the help of wicked, wicked men, they put the author of life to death. But God the Father brought God the Son back to life. And what did Joel say earlier? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's really amazing about this is that even the people that murdered Jesus, God the Son, were given the opportunity to repent and be saved. And that is exactly the work of the Holy Spirit. 
His job is to convict us of when we mess up royally. And, and it's good when you feel bad for doing bad things, but you're not supposed to stay there in that guilt because the Holy Spirit wants to transition you to that point where, where you understand that there's a way to be right with God again. And that, that way is not being better. It's, it's not being good enough. It's by putting your faith that Jesus Christ was perfect in your place, that he paid the ransom price, that he rose from the dead, declaring that you belong to him. The Holy Spirit used that exact same message and he, and he preached it through the apostles so that on that day of Pentecost, 3,000 men, women, and children were saved. They came to a knowledge of the truth. And here's the thing. Everyone who believes in that message, everyone who's been baptized into the name of Jesus has received that same Holy Spirit power to declare this message to the world, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. As the prophet Joel said, the Holy Spirit does not discriminate. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, young or old, rich or poor. He has given you and me the ability to share this good news with other people. So that means you don't have to be a pastor or a priest or a Sunday school teacher or a small group Bible study leader. You don't need a pulpit or a platform. You could be a little child playing out on the playground, going down a slide, swinging on a swing, and sharing your faith with another person. You could be a mom or a dad and sharing your faith, the good news of Jesus, with your children. You could be a carpenter, a nurse, a receptionist, a dental assistant, a police officer, a consultant, a banker, a lawyer, a school superintendent, a daycare provider, a teacher, a personal assistant, an engineer, a government worker, delivery person, massage therapist. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. God has poured out his Holy Spirit on you, just like he did on those apostles, so that you can be his witness. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, sometimes we, we limit ourselves in what we say about God the Son, about what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, uh, you've just reminded us today through this message that there are no boundaries, there are no barriers. Uh, you have taken them all away so that no matter who we are, no matter what we do in life, that we have opportunities. You've put us in the right place at the right time. You've surrounded us by friends and coworkers and classmates so that we can share the good news of Jesus with them. Give us the same boldness that you gave to Peter and the apostles on the day of Pentecost. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So we are talking about the forgotten God. And what I mean by that is oftentimes in the church, we talk about God the Father, we talk about God the Son, but more often than not, we do not talk about God the Holy Spirit, but that's who we're talking about. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans in chapter eight, gives us a contrast between the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine and the sinful flesh. The sinful flesh sometimes is called the old Adam, named after Adam who rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. Well, the sinful flesh tries to get us to rebel against God by doing everything that God doesn't want us to do. So ultimately to get us to fall into temptation. Whereas the Holy Spirit is working in our lives to help us to avoid doing evil and empowering us to do what is good. So ultimately Paul is describing for us the quintessential battle between good and evil that is constantly raging inside of you and me. And the reason I say it's constantly raging is because you clicked on this video, but that, that, the battle did not stop, did it? 
or when you open your Bible or you go to church, uh, it doesn't all of a sudden go into sleep mode. No, it's still raging on. And I don't share this to make you feel like you have to live in despair. No, but it's so that you and I can be aware of what's going on in the here and now. And so that's what Paul addresses here in Romans chapter 8. This is what he says. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So right off the bat, Paul is forcing us to think about what we're thinking about. If, If you're thinking about fleshy things, sinful activities, things that are selfish, self-centered, and potentially harmful to others, then you are living according to the flesh and its desires. If you're thinking about spiritual things, things that are lovely, good, noble, upright, uh, how to help others, how to be more service-minded, then you are living according to the Spirit and what the Spirit desires. The question I want you to wrestle with then is, what are you thinking about? What, what are you setting your mind on? Is it the things of the flesh or the things of the Spirit? Because as Paul is going to point out, is that both have consequences. This is what he says in verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So what happens is when you allow your mind to be governed by the flesh, you're hostile to God. You're his enemy. You can't please him. That's not your desire. And ultimately, it says it leads to death. Now, from my observations, most people don't want to die. That's why we have anti-aging creams. This is why we have spa treatments. This is why we do everything we possibly can do so that we spend a little bit longer here on this earth. The other thing I've observed is most people don't want to spend eternity away from God. They don't want to spend eternity in the fire pit of hell. They don't want that. It's not on their bucket list. But here's the thing. Here's the warning. When a person allows them their mind to be governed by the flesh, they are on the fast track to both physical and spiritual death. Indulging in sinful, reckless behavior is not going to elongate your life. Living in rebellion against God is not going to draw you closer to him. So again, take a moment and think about this. Where has your mind been lately? What have you been meditating on? The things of the spirit or the things of the flesh? And if you don't exactly know what I'm saying, when I, what I mean when I say the things of the flesh, the Apostle Paul gives us another list in the book of Galatians 5, and he deal, details that for us. He says this, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, and jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So part of the sinful flesh is giving into sexual immorality, which entails looking at another person with lustful thoughts in your heart. Um, And that could be uh, looking at pornographic images. That could be having sex outside of marriage or committing adultery or having uh, homosexual relationships. The sinful nature is drawn towards idolatry and witchcraft, which includes the occult and black, black magic, things like horoscopes, palm readings, Ouija boards, seances, and and casting spells. He he says that the sinful flesh involves hating people, discord, 
being jealous, having fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension and factions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. That's a fancy word for having sexual relations with multiple people. Listen, I know this is not a comfortable conversation to have, but we have to talk about these things because it literally is the difference between life and death. The world promotes everything I just talked about as good and moral. But the reality is every single one of them draws us away from God and draws us away from God's kingdom. So again, ask yourself, what are you allowing your mind to meditate on? What are you drawn towards? What are you thinking about? Is it the things of the flesh or the things of the spirit? Because the consequences of allowing your mind to think about the things of the spirit are way better. This is what Paul says in verse six. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. When you allow the Holy Spirit to govern and rule your mind, there's nothing that you have to be ashamed of. There's nothing you have to feel guilty for because you have life and peace. Where do you need to go to think about the things of the Spirit? Back to the inspired Word of God, to the Bible, to meditate on all the things that are written for you in the 66 books of Scripture. It is so important for you and I to read and meditate on God's Word regularly. Uh, something my family and I do to, to do this is uh, in the morning before they go off to school, we'll open up the Bible app, we'll listen to the verse of the day together, and we'll we'll talk about it, we'll discuss it, we'll, we'll allow the Holy Spirit to work on our hearts, we'll pray about it, and we start our day. Uh, something I've been implementing, I don't always do it perfectly, but when I remember to do it before the kids get on their tablets or they have screen time or play video games, I ask them to read a psalm or a chapter of the Bible, and then we talk about it. Again, allowing the Spirit to work on their hearts. Something I'm doing personally is that before I sit down and watch a movie or, or get on Netflix, is that I'll read a, a few chapters of God's Word, pray about that, so that I, I'm making wise decisions on what I am going to watch or not watch. This is something that you and I need to be intentional about because the Spirit works through His Word. And this is where he teaches us that, that we are forgiven, 100% forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ for all the times that we've given into our sinful flesh. This is where God teaches us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to be kind and compassionate towards one another. Uh, this is how he, he teaches us to be slow in anger and abounding in love, no matter what the circumstances, no matter who we're dealing with. The mind governed by the Spirit brings life and peace. Now, maybe you've been wondering, as I've been talking, is your mind governed by the Spirit or not? Is the Spirit even inside of you? And that's why I appreciate what Paul says in verse 11. He says, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose from the dead, is your Savior? Were you baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? If so, then you can be 100% confident that the Spirit lives inside of you. That is a fact, and therefore you have life and you have peace. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, forgive us uh, for the times that we've given into our sinful flesh. Uh, all of us have done it, Lord. But that does not rule us, that does not govern us. Your Spirit does. And so help us to lean more into that uh, by being in your word, intentionally taking the time to, to listen to it, to read it, to, to soak it in and allow you to change our hearts and our minds. 
It's through Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. God has given us this amazing tool called prayer so that we can talk with him at any time, any place, for any circumstances. It's way better than some red phone, emergency hotline, because you don't even need a phone to do it. But since it's just you and me, let me ask you, how often do you pray? You can be honest. Is it sometimes? Is it constant? Is it never? Or have you ever found yourself in a situation where life is just, it feels like it's falling apart. There's so many horrible situations going on and you're trying to fix it. You're calling all your people and, and, and nobody can help you. They're not making it better. In fact, it's getting worse. And finally you get to that point where you fold your hands, you bow your head and you, ugh, you just groan because you don't know what to say. Or maybe you just scream because that's all that, that can come out. Or maybe it's just a question, why God? Why is this happening to me? If you've ever found yourself in that situation where you know you need to pray, but you don't know what to pray, that is a universal problem. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 tells us the universal solution. And the solution to that uh, is God the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says in verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So when you find yourself praying, groaning, it says that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit steps in and he starts to groan with you, which is pretty cool. And then Paul says this in verse 27, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So the Spirit is interceding for you and me. And I, and I like how the New Living Translation puts it. Maybe it's a little more clear. It says, and the Father, so God the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So what that means is that God the Father understands the groans of God the Holy Spirit. And, and so just to put it in very clear terms, God is praying to God on your behalf. God is praying to God on your behalf. I don't know about you, but for me, that is extremely comforting. And I think about it in, in courtroom terms. Years ago, I was with a friend who had been driving without a license and he got pulled over and, and now he had to go to the court and he was terrified. He didn't know what was going to happen. He was afraid he was going to go to jail. And they appointed him a lawyer and we sat down with the lawyer beforehand and talked, talked everything through with him. And then it was our turn to go to uh, the courtroom and, and speak to the judge. Well, my friend didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. But the lawyer spoke up and said words that we would have never come up with on our own. And the judge was listening intently. And he turns to my friend and he does what neither of us expected. He smiled and spoke very kindly to him, gave him a small fine and let him go. In the same way, when you find yourself in need, you might be a little leery of going God, to God the Father because maybe you have this impression that he's just this judge, that he's out to get you. And, and maybe you've sinned for the hundredth time doing the same exact thing and you're afraid that, oh no, this is it. This, he's going to throw the gavel at me. But instead, God the Holy Spirit is interceding for you, groaning with you, pleading for you. And he and God the Father are pretty tight. The, the lawyer and the judge are, are, go hand in hand. 
And what God the Father does is he looks at you with a smile, with kindness. Maybe he needs to discipline you a little bit, but ultimately his goal is to bring you close to him and, and forgive you. God's will is that we all repent, that we all turn back to God and receive salvation through Jesus, God's Son. God the Holy Spirit is your advocate. He's praying for you, he's groaning with you, he is kind to you and he's praying for you right now. There is no better advocate out there. And, and what he does is he takes your groans, yours and mine, and he converts them into sighs of relief. Because maybe you're going through a situation right now that feels like it's never gonna end, it's never gonna get better, but what the Holy Spirit reminds us of is that one day there will be a new heavens and there will be a new earth where there's no more pain or sorrow or shame or guilt, but instead we will get to live in peace with our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So groan with me right now in prayer. Holy Spirit, you know what's going on in our lives. You know the difficulties that we're facing. Sometimes it's so hard to, to talk, to even come up with the right words to say, but it is so comforting to know that you're interceding for us right now uh, between us and God the Father. You got the right words. And and God, help us to be okay with just, uh, or, or let it help us let it out in a scream, whatever it is. You can translate it, Lord, because you know our hearts, you know our minds, and we know that you can fix whatever's going wrong in this world through your Son, our Savior Jesus. Amen. If you've been following along in this series, we've been talking about the uniqueness of our God and how he reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we've been primarily talking about the Spirit's work in our lives, what he's doing for us. But today I really wanna focus on what he's doing through us. And to help us do that, we're gonna be looking at a portion of the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And you have to understand something about the Corinthians. They were not a perfect congregation. They were definitely rough around the edges. They didn't always get along with each other. There was a lot of infighting. They dealt with pride and arrogance. They didn't always understand who God was and, and what his will was for their lives. Ultimately, they were a typical church, kind of like what we know today. And one of the areas that they were very confused in was the area of spiritual gifts. They didn't always understand what those gifts were that God had given them, but also they didn't always understand the purpose. And so what I'd like to talk about right now is the purpose of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to you and me. So it, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. He says, there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. So the Corinthians had got it in their minds that there were better spiritual gifts than others. And if you had the better ones, then that mean, meant you were better than everyone else. Whereas Paul clarifies and says, there's no such thing as better or worse, there's just different. I have different gifts and abilities than you have, you have different gifts and abilities than I have. They're just different. And think about it in, in the sense of a football team. Who's the most important player on the team? Most people would respond, the quarterback. And though the quarterback is essential, he's not the only player, 
right? Who's going to score the touchdowns? You need the receivers and the running backs. Who's going to defend the, the quarterback so he can throw the ball? It's, it's the, the linemen. Who's going to score that, that last second point, you know, the three points? It's, it's going to be the kicker. And so every one of those players has different gifts and abilities, and they're all vital for the advancement and for the, the t- team's success. In the same way, the different gifts that you and I have been given are, are essential for the success of the team we call the church. Now, where do all these different gifts come from? Paul says, from the same spirit, from the same Lord, from the same God. So once again, he brings us back to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in tandem. And so what makes all of these different gifts that, that God gives us special? It's not the gifts in and of themselves, it's the giver. It's the fact that God, the Holy Spirit, gifted them to us for what purpose? Not so that we can make a name for ourselves, not so that we can use them for our own selfish, selfish purposes and ambitions. It's so that we can use them for each other, to bless one another and bring glory to God. And so sticking with the sports analogy, Christianity is not an individual sport. It's not like tennis or ping pong or golf. It is a team sport. We need each other. I need you and you need me. And that's why watching a video like this one or watching church online, though good, is not enough. Because if if you're primarily staying at home to be spiritually fed, then you're missing out on the gifts of all your fellow Christians and they're missing out on your gifts. And that's why going to church every once in a while or showing up late or leaving early isn't enough because you're not able to pour into your fellow teammates and they're not able to pour into you. See, think about it this way. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from eternity have been living in community and that's exactly what they want for you and me. So I have some homework for you. I I think it's vital that you learn what your spiritual gifts are. And to do that, I want you to read the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and also Romans chapter 12. So same chapter number, just different books written by the same guy, the Apostle Paul. But in that, he details these different spiritual gifts and pray over them and ask the Holy Spirit to, to reveal to you what are your specific gifts and ask him, how can I use these for the common good, for my teammates, for my fellow Christians? And if right now you're not part of a Christian community, I want you to pray boldly that God would, would direct you to a church that's gonna teach the truth that, that will teach you that there is only one way to heaven as through faith in Jesus Christ as your savior. And they believe that God's word, the Bible, is the absolute truth. You've been gifted by the Holy Spirit. You have your different gifts and abilities, not just for you, but so that you can use them for the common good. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you. Uh, for giving us these various gifts. Forgive us for the times that we've been envious of each other and, and wanted each other's gifts. But the reality is, Lord, we, we have these for a reason and they're not just for ourselves, but so that we can use them for each other. So God, help us uh, by your spirit to be able to, to do that, recognize what they are and, and be bold about uh, using them for the common good. And also, Lord, if, if there's some of us that aren't in community right now, help us to, to find that church that's gonna lead us closer to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.